G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this cannot happen without the support of B School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you may miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing Today, though, I am very, very excited to introduce you to Zoe Lord, who is doing a Master of Science in Chemistry under the supervision of Dr. Amanda Bongers and Dr. Paul Hungler. Welcome to Grad Chat, Zoe. Thank you so much, Colette, for having me. Now, I know you've just come back from Arizona, where you've been doing some sort of astronaut-type stuff, and so I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about that, because, you know, Zoe came in with a, looked like a sleeping bag, and I go, oh, you're going camping. She goes, no, I just got back from Arizona. And I go, oh, this is not the astronaut stuff. And she goes, yes, it is. So... You're all going to have to wait for that part. You've got to go through the rest of it first, and then we will uh, do a bit more on that. Now, I mentioned you were doing a Master of Science in Chemistry, but as I have learned previously, it's not all about test tubes and lab work and white coats. You are doing your work in improving chemistry education. So before we talk about your topic specifically, what made you want to look at chemistry education, first of all? Was it your own experience of learning about chemistry at high school or in undergrad or something else? Yeah, so very interesting is that I have a background in both neuroscience and chemistry. Uh Therefore, I wanted to really merge both disciplines together and just find some sort of happy medium. I really didn't want to uh, end up uh, doing traditional benchtop chemistry with the typical white lab coats in the lab, I wanted to just focus on how to apply my chemistry knowledge in a much more broader and more um, general sense for uh, vis-a-vis education. And I then I immediately got interested with how do people learn chemistry? How do people understand chemistry? Mm-hmm. How can I better the uh, chemistry uh, experience for students and undergraduate students coming in. Makes total sense. I mean, I only did chemistry in high school. I did love it. Wasn't particularly great at it. I did love it. But I, you know, I think the only thing that fascinated me there was when we were exploding something. But (laughs) (laughs) I made a complete mess of the lab. So it is important of how we we learn these things. So it's great that you're doing that because it'd be very easy to do that lab coat work stuff. And so your research topic is um, you want to test the impact of cognitive overload on task performance in virtual reality to provide insights into virtual reality design for chemistry education. So again, it clearly shows that you're combining the two, your two loves that you've had before, the neuroscience and the, and the chemistry. So can you just give us a bit of an overview of what you're trying to do in this research and, and some, of the, some of the challenges you're going to have to look at? Yes, so in my research, I'm looking at mostly virtual reality chemistry education. So uh, now that virtual reality is becoming more prevalent in classrooms, particularly in chemistry as well, it's making its way over. We need to start considering 
how are we designing these simulations for the students? Are we making sure that the students are not overwhelmed when they are experiencing these uh, virtual reality simulations? And to make sure that they are learning effectively and productively during this time that they're learning. So I want to really focus on looking at how are they learning in a chemistry uh, virtual reality experience and how does that the virtual uh, the VR design impact their learning? So let me just make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So you're trying to find new ways of teaching chemistry. Yeah. Is the virtual reality way uh, a safer option so we don't have exploding bombs and things going off? And what made people want to do these sorts of simulations? Mm, okay, so my study focuses on looking at different molecules and then being able to uh, rotate them and look at them in 3D space. Right. And so that's why it's, it's a very interesting research topic because a lot of students, they're trying to learn chemistry with the molecules through via a computer or on paper. And we need some sort of 3D modeling uh, experience for them to be able to see how the atoms and the molecules uh, bond together and interact. Right. So this will allow you to really zoom in, rotate the molecules around, be able to ob observe the chemical structure that, that, the, that the molecules are composed of. And then from there, be able to solidify some chemistry concepts, i.e. chirality, to observe and to learn uh, these these concepts. So it's still on a computer, though? Yes, so in virtual so reality. Actually, uh, uh, you talked about 3D yeah. being able to see it, so it's not actually a, a physical thing that they're getting hold of and moving around? Yes, so they are uh, holding through their controllers the molecules that they can interact with. Oh, is that right? Yes, so okay. it's very immersive. That's why uh, this is very interesting research is because it's immersive, It's um, it has 3D dimensionality, it's interactive as well. Which is, I find fascinating because there's nothing I learned best by doing, holding looking observing and things as opposed to just hearing someone else talk about it so th this is great but where does the your neuroscience background come into into all of this yes so uh, we will be using one of our instruments to measure cognitive load will be called fnirs that's that's near infrared spectroscopy and this instrument allows to study your oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin levels so your your oxygen levels in your brain and so it will be a headset that will be put onto your forehead right. and it'll measure your oxygen levels and that will allow to measure your cognitive load so it's kind of mm. you can pair those up and see how much effort are you putting into that task at that moment and then from there I can measure how overwhelmed are the students during a very overloaded, overstimulating task versus a very simple, basic white screen. So uh, just by task. looking at oxygen levels, you can find out all of that. Yes. 
Wow. Very interesting. I never would have thought, I would have thought there was some sort of things on your head with little electrodes and doing electrical activity and it spikes when you're getting stressed or, or something. Yeah, it also has EEG, so it also measures your neural activity as well. So, so this instrument as a whole measures your neural activity, which is kind of where the neuroscience aspect comes in. And from there, we can really take a look at your brain and your neural firing levels within your brain. That's absolutely fascinating. That's, it's my, it, hate to use this, bit of a pun, mind-boggling. Um, <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? So, so one wonders, apart from working on how to improve chemistry, education, design, why are you looking at this in a chemistry degree? Because it could fit under education, it could psychology, neuroscience. There's a lot of different areas you could be looking at this. And I'm going to go back and ask you a bit more about it, but... Why are you doing this in chemistry? Because it could have been any subject that you could have chosen. Absolutely. This can definitely have been under any other type of master's degree, whether it be neuroscience or education or chemistry. I chose chemistry because it's very important to bring to the table different types and different aspects about chemistry, not just the traditional white coat benchtop chemistry that we're so fond of, but also to just expand and remember that there are different forms of chemistry, especially in uh, chemistry education. And that's kind of why I, I wanted to look at it through a chemistry lens versus a neuroscience or educational lens. So you, you talked about you want to address some challenges. So what are those challenges that you're thinking about? Yes. So when I first started, I had to design the virtual reality game on my own. And so oh. I had to to start learning how to code. Also, it could have been done in computing as well. Yes. I mean, yes. All sorts of programs. <laughs> yes. So this uh, project is very interdisciplinary, has mm -hmm. many different uh, moving parts from different disciplines. And that's something that I really wanted to, to pursue, something that is just overall challenge of a project. So um, I had to learn how to code in C-sharp for the uh, program that we use in Unity. Right. Unity is used for many different types of games available online. And um, so I had to learn how to use the software, how to, how to code the game. And eventually we had to also uh, collaborate with a colleague overseas to help code as well the game. Okay. Um, so we realized that it was a a bigger investment than originally planned and so we ended up finishing the game it was great but we needed a few extra hands along the way right well when you said it's cross cross disciplinary it kind of makes sense you know bring in some of the experts who have got something beforehand that you can contribute and you said there was someone from overseas so is this a, a collaborative project in general mm, so yes so we we were just listening to different chemistry education um uh, seminars online and we came across someone that did something very similar in virtual reality with the molecules in 3d space so we contacted them to hear more and we right. ended up realizing that they had a lot of similarities with what we were doing so we decided to just pair up and to work together to build the the virtual reality experience for the students and from there, so this student, uh, she's in Oxford right now. She's right. working out of London. So, 
That's yeah. awesome. It's nice to have those overseas collaborations. Absolutely. Have you had a chance to go over there and do some work as well? No, I wish. I really wish. <laughs> It'd be <laughs> beautiful. You're only doing a master's, so that's going to be going just like that. It'll be really quick. Yeah. You've got a lot to do in two years. Um, so what are some of the other challenges you may have had um, that to explore the different aspects of cognitive load? Because that seems to be the crux of it is, is, you know, how much can a student take on board using something like this VR system? Yeah, so one of the bigger challenges that we faced in the start of the master's is what type of instruments are we going to use to study cognitive load? Um, there are many different types of instruments that you can use, but we have to really select uh, some very specific ones to make sure that we're actually studying what we intend to study. Um, some some instruments for cognitive load, such as pupillometry, is used quite heavily in, in literature. However, it's insignificant in the sense that it's statistically indifferent whether it works or not. Right. So we had to remove that from our overall instrumentation that we'll be using. Finally, we ended up using eye tracking and FNIRS, as well as a nine-point pass scale. A nine-point pass scale looks at at your mental effort levels right. through a rating scale. So we can really gather subjective data of what this participant is observing or experiencing at that time. So when you're saying that you're watching, you're observing them and how they're reacting to whatever's going on, and, and, you, and from that you can help tell if they're getting tired and therefore not taking in the information that they need to? Yeah, so it's particularly the student that will rate themselves and rate their own mental effort. Okay. And from there, I can take that data and um, triangulate it with the FNIRS and the eye tracking to really see whether their subjective mm -hmm. overload is analogous to their eye tracking. Right, so or their if it's matching FNIRS. or not and yeah. if there's things happening at the same time. Oh, that, that's a lot of work to do that, to be able to sort of pair up the both to see what they're saying and then what the what your tracking is doing. That, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So it's, it's interesting too when you talk about this, and, and again, it could be done in any sort of setting, but you're doing it in a certain one. But we, when we talk about education, they always say you can't have classes going on. You know, Three-hour classes are too long because people can't keep the concentration. Have you found yet, and I know it's early days for you, have you found yet where people are starting to feel tired from, from doing this? Yeah, so especially because we're looking at virtual reality, it's a very different playing field. Mm -hmm. And so studies have shown that you cannot exceed more than 40 minutes without getting a headache. Oh, is that right? Only 40 minutes? Okay. Yeah. And for children, it's actually not uh, recommended at all. So it's virtual reality it has its pros and cons. Um, you really are limited to a certain time frame. Uh, the human eye isn't quite easily adjusted to staring at a 3D screen right. like that for a very long period of time. And so 40 minutes is really my cutoff for my experiment to really adhere to the literature that's out there. Which is, I find, again, that that's a fascinating point because... So many kids and adults are playing video games all day, every day, and yet they just keep going and going. Does that, are we trying to say that but they're not actually taking anything in? It's just a, an automatic using the fingers to 
move someone around the screen or, or the 3D thing, we know those goggle things you have in your eyes. Um, so it kind of goes against some of what those video games are doing to, to people. Yeah, absolutely. And especially virtual reality, the lens the, the is right up into your face, mm. right? It's right next to your eyes. So it's not like staring at a screen that's farther away right. from from you. There's still some distance. So being so close to the lens is actually quite it could very much impair your eyesight and your and and hurt your head after a certain while. Right, right, and we don't want that. No, definitely not. <laughs> I don't think that would go very well. So, at the end of the day, if you find, like, for instance, not to be able to go, not do classes any more than forty minutes, and probably the safe thing is to say thirty. Um, is this something that can be bought in, really be bought into the classroom? Because having some of these three D sort of elements with the VR could is it costly um, I think it's pretty so my f research really focuses on the VR design itself mm -hmm. is the VR design uh, helping the student learn effectively and productively or is it or is it just a fun gimmick full of many different fun things to see and to look at mm -hmm. I think it, it is not too costly considering the cost of the VR headset itself is at cheapest maybe $300. Okay. And if every student gets to experience it for, for 30 minutes and gets to play an infinite amount of games available online, I think over time it's actually quite beneficial, right. especially for chemistry education where there are certain things that you can't experience on paper in the classroom in the traditional classroom, it's really important to gather uh, these these insights through the VR, especially for seeing the 3D molecules in 3D space, looking at how do you work in a, in a laboratory. So maybe before students enter the lab, they can see the lab uh, in the virtual reality right, space right. and get a feel for it before they're exposed to that in the real world. And I think that's a really good point that, like you said, it could be cost effective. It, it's another way of learning and not everyone learns in the same way. But it's also about providing them an opportunity, to, like you said, to see things in 3D without actually holding the real thing or looking at the real thing. Because some of it's under a microscope, which could be too difficult to really see properly. So there's lot. seems like there's a lot of positives to looking at this sort of chemistry education. Absolutely. There's there's so much to be found, but also uh, to drive the point that we always need to be conscious of what we're putting into the virtual reality design mm -hmm. and are we actually making it too overstimulating for the students or is it actually a nice, happy medium that is accessible for everyone right. to be learning effectively? I'm sure they'll be uh, waiting for your results on this because <laughs> I think it, again, it could apply to a lot of different programs. Uh, I can understand the chemistry because it, you are often working with the, the minute, um, the smaller atoms, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, so. and this, this research should be used across different disciplines uh, for, for all educators and for all developers developing the games as well uh, to just be cautious of, of their, the students' cognitive load as mm -hmm. they're experiencing these, these virtual reality experiences and to make sure that they're just not overwhelmed when they, when they go through 
their learning experiences. I know this is, isn't part of your study, but, I mean, there are some some people, you, you go into the cinema, maybe a 3D cinema, and you get the special glasses on and stuff, but there could be strobe lighting and things, da-da-da-da-da, and some people can't handle that. So I guess one of the other cautions you'd have to make, you know, this is not, suit, as you said, it's not suitable for everybody because they may have other conditions that wearing something like this and being a part of it is actually detrimental to the health. Yeah, absolutely. We have certain criteria that we have to look at uh, regarding uh, the person's uh, health and safety to make sure that we're not actually hurting them during the study. But besides that, we're also trying to make everything accessible for everybody. So for uh, students that have uh, difficulty with their spatial ability awareness, uh, the the VR, my study will actually try to tr- find an optimal threshold right. to really help uh, find that happy medium where those with that are very experienced in spatial awareness and looking at molecules in 3D space and those that have absolutely a lot of difficulty looking at that, there's some sort of happy medium where um, everyone can look at, at th- this VR design and essentially be able to learn through it. That's great. Loving it. Okay, well, I think one of the other things I'd like to talk about, because like I said, you've got a lot of things that you can do with that. And so are you in your first year? I'm going into my second Second now. year. So you've got a lot to finish off, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I know you can do it because <laughs> you've clearly got a lot of passion yourself in it, which is fantastic. So what I'd like to do now is talk about some of the other things that you do. And we gave a little peek sneak in the beginning to say they've just come back from Arizona. And that was actually an astronaut training Yes, Camp. so I was taking a space medicine course with some of the most... <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yes, as you do. Um, and so we went to Arizona to where the uh, actual um, NASA training was conducted in uh, in Flagstaff. And so essentially uh, NASA exploded these the, the rocks there, uh, the, the, the lava rocks, and to create a lunar space. Right. And so we were doing uh, medical simulations there to kind of simulate that you're in space and all this, and simulating the lunar craters. And we also went into the lava caves, the lava tube caves oh, wow. as well. We ventured into there to see um, the, how scary it is when it's pitch black in, in a cave. That was a lot of fun. Oh, I and think I would be scared stiff. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to see down there. There's so much to see. It was a wonderful experience. And so I am uh, with the IIAS, the International Institute for Astronautical Sciences. And this group uh, basically prepares you for for space training. So you kind of go through the practicality of it. You go through underwater training, you go through flight training, you go through other types of medicine-related simulations as well. And you kind of just get to travel the world at the same time, which is a lot of fun. Well, that's a pretty good bonus. So does that mean you want to be go into medicine after as well as being an astronaut? Yes, so hopefully I get to be a medical crew officer on a spacecraft at some point. Crossing fingers, I really uh, know it's very difficult to to achieve these goals, but I'm working at it. You know what? If you don't try, you never know, right? So I think good on you for for giving that a go. And 
talk about fascinating. Some of the things, I mean, I've some of the things you sort of mentioned that you have to do as part of this training, like the underwater stuff and being in a black cavern or in a lava tube. I probably would not pass any of it. <laughs> so as much as I like to think I'm big and brave, but sometimes I'm not. So good on you for, for wanting to do that. It must Thank be very you. exciting. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, I also got to experience a parabolic flight where you get to go in microgravity for a few seconds at a time, cool. which is a lot of fun. And I got to uh, perform my, my CPR-related research. I was studying Brilliant. CPR in space. And we decided our own payload and got to fly it on parabolic flight and got some very cool results out of it. I was very happy that it was successful. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All, all these things that talk about telling your grandchildren down the track, the kids were going, guess what grandma did? <laughs> Can't beat that one. And then the other thing you are, you're an educator, volunteer at the Mars Society of Canada, leading, again, VR Classroom Initiative visiting elementary schools to teach youth about the challenges of Mars. So what is this society? And is it all, when you say Mars, we're talking about the planet Mars? Yes, so okay. this is actually a very dedicated organization to promoting uh, students to learn more about uh, life on Mars and the challenges surrounding life on Mars. And so initially I was an educator volunteer. I would go into elementary schools, teach kids about Mars and teach them a little bit of space medicine at the same time. Uh, we learned, we also taught them how to grow plants on Mars using Mars oh, yeah? simulated soil. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so after a few, a few gigs of that, I decided to open up a VR classroom initiative where we will be taking HoloLens uh, headsets and letting them play around on uh, Mars simulations as okay. well as other types of space-related and galaxy-related um, simulations for them to enjoy and to experience wow. and build a class uh, lesson plan out of that. That's brilliant. I wish we had that when I was in primary school, but no, no go. So using the VR there again, so is that what kind of gave you the idea for your own research? Absolutely, absolutely, uh -huh. yeah. So um, I decided to really kind of pair up my, my um, knowledge uh, in in all the f in my field of right. space and in my field of of uh, chemistry research, just because I have this great knowledge base and these great resources to mm -hmm. go to. Well, that makes total sense. I mean, use what you've already know, right, and kind of hopefully make things a little bit easier along the way, which is absolutely brilliant. And then let me see. You, like I said, you've done so many things. Oh, you did all the C, the crisis project, the effects of CPR in space. And I think you mentioned that when you were at your flight school or yes. not, down in Arizona just recently. So there's a lot of things that you've done that's really, really well connected, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I really try to uh, the dots, <laughs> Con <laughs> connect uh, everything that I come to love and just really be I'm just so passionate about all these things and I just really want to explore more and anything that I see that is very interesting, I definitely want to pursue forward. Don't lose that passion. I mean, because so many people go would would go along in life and go, well, I can't do both things. I have to pick one. Where you're, you're, You've learned how to combine all your passions into one and, you know, if you do, hopefully you will get to be one of those astronauts, which... 
what a excuse the pun what a lofty goal that one is but I know you can reach it <laughs> absolutely it's a lot of work but uh, you know if if you're willing and your passion you're ambitious you know I think it's possible anything is possible I I was uh, I was really new to the game a few years ago and I just said why not let's just dive in and apply to things and right. I just applied and and here we are so I just want to say that really anything is possible as long as you just put your head to it and just actually do the thing. Do it, yeah. A lot of us are very good at talking about what we'd like to do and then we don't actually do it. But you're actually putting it into action, which is brilliant. You know, your, your family must be very proud of you, of even where you are now and knowing what you're trying to reach. Yeah, so my parents, they, they accompany me everywhere I go. So Fantastic. they love to come to see me. They came to Florida with me. They came to Ottawa to see my parabolic flight happen. So they're very excited about everything that I do. And I'm really grateful to have them by my side. Probably thinking, I want to do it too. <laughs> <laughs> Probably super jealous. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad was quite jealous about the scuba diving oh, experience. I bet. Yeah, I it was bet. Fun. But there's lots of them they can talk to their friends about, guess what my daughter's doing? (laughs) (laughs) One-upmanship type stuff. (laughs) I think that would be awesome. Zoe, like I said, it's been a fascinating interview with you from your work that you're doing for your master's, which is no small feat in itself, as well as what you're you're aiming to do long term. So I I wish you the, the best of luck with all of it. And let us know how you go. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been terrific. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC Podcast. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.